Good morning to you, Magdalen Road. Um, great to be here again on a Sunday morning. It's obviously not ideal, but um, here we are, and we have um, the Living God speaking to us through His Word. So thank you to Lissy um, for reading. Uh, let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll have a look at this next little section um, that we're thinking about um, in these two Psalms. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we we pray that you would guard us this morning from simply um, zoning out and thinking about other things. Um, you know, the distractions that we can feel at home. We pray that you would guard us from simply gathering information that we might um, have a better grasp of these passages, although that in itself isn't a bad thing. But we pray more than that, that you would speak to us and that by your spirit, you'd be at work in us, helping us to apply what it is that we're thinking about and learning. Help us to hear your voice to us this morning, both as individuals, but as a corporate body, a family together. And Lord, speak clearly because, because we're, we're not great at listening and our hearts often grow hard. So please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, brothers and sisters, I want to assure you to reassure you as we begin this morning that this is not the way it was meant to be that that first sin in the garden that that turning our backs on god has affected everything everything is broken the world is not as it was meant to be that they did it first but we do it daily and so life on planet earth is marred and malfunctioning and we are marred and malfunctioning and Often our relationships are strained and awkward and we, we mourn because the people we love die. It's hard, isn't it? To be a human is to be a sufferer. And the Bible is beautifully, brutally honest about all of this. On pretty much every page you will find that reality. There is no photoshopping or pretending. There is no blurring out the tricky bits. There's no, there's no come to Jesus and all your problems will disappear in the blink of an eye and it'll all be a walk in the park and everything will be easy. And th there are some who teach that, but I think they're being dishonest with themselves and dishonest with the scriptures because they're ignoring what is clearly there. The Bible is honest. And so in all that honesty, God gives us an outlet. He shows us how to respond to living in this kind of marred and malfunctioning world. We say, how do we live in a world like this, a world where we feel that that extraordinary tension of the now and the not yet, the, the tension of whom we know God to be, and yet at times the reality of our daily struggle, the tension of being at home, but but not at home of being in Christ, but also in Oxford. How do we live in a world like this? Well, the answer is, at least in part, the answer is the gift of lament. Maybe we come from the land of stiff upper lip and keep calm and carry on and don't make a fuss and just get on with it. And there's a bit of us, if we're honest, asking, are we actually allowed to talk like some of the psalmists talk? Is that an okay thing to do, to use some of that emotional language, that pouring out of their hearts, that crying out to God as they do? 
one writer puts it like this. They say, we read the Psalms and we wonder, can I believe a really pray like that? Can these feelings and emotions be named in the presence of God? But the heartfelt cries of the psalmist redefine what is normal and expected for a believer. They, they lift the burden of condemnation when we doubt and grieve and mourn and question and even rage. We discover that these expressions are not beyond the pale of biblical spirituality. And having such emotions recorded for us in the psalms would be encouragement enough. As we see that other believers have gone through the same things, but more than that, they are inspired pourings out of emotion. They're words authored by human psalmists, but they're also Holy Spirit words. Words given to the psalmist to help them process their experience and bring it to God. Words given to us for the very same reason. You see, instead of us giving God the silent treatment, veering into despair, I, I can't do this, I can't communicate, or denial, everything's fine, I can't communicate. Lament is a gift from God and it simply says, talk to God about your struggles, tell him what's going on. Voice your frustrations and your pain and your anger and cry out to him. We're not saying moan, mumble, complain to yourself. Well, we're good at that, aren't we? And we're not saying grumble and mither and be miserable with others. We're good at that as well. But cry out to God. And why do we do that? Why are we to lament? Well, ultimately, it's so we can reaffirm our trust in him again. You see, that is the pattern in the scriptures. That is biblical lament. It's a prayer in pain that in the end leads us to trust him. Biblical lament is not just complaining to God, but finally it's affirming our trust in him too. The, the paradox almost is that, that sorrow and joy can coexist. Which means, someone said, we don't need to pretend anymore. We don't need to hide our tears or pretend we don't have doubts. We don't need to stay away from Christian fellowship until we feel we can act a bit more Christian. We don't need to pretend to have all the answers or know what God is doing. There is a place for anguish, grief, doubt, pain, anger in the presence of God. And I hope we'll grasp something more of that today. Do what we're doing? If you were here last week or if you've caught up, you will know if you've not, then do head on to our website or download the podcast. It'd be great to, to get the kind of flow as we work through all four of these um, weeks. But we've, we've got four weeks in Psalms 42 and 43, and the psalmist is finding life hard. Do you remember why? Do you remember the four Fs? The four Fs that resonate with life for us at the moment in many ways. He's, he's number one, far from home, far from God. He's isolated. He's distant from where he wants to be. Two, he's in the firing line from cynics and opponents mocking him. Where's your God now, psalmist? Three, there are festivals and he looks back and they're reminders of happy times gone by. But they bring him pain and they bring him longing because he remembers what he hasn't got now. And then to cap it all off, number four, he feels forgotten. That's some of why he's so downcast through these psalms. That's some of what he's going through. I wanted to mention a couple more things before we dive into our, our idea for today, though. A couple more things just to say. Um, we didn't say much about this last time, but firstly, if you look in the title, 
um, of Psalm 42, you can see that these words, this song was penned by the sons of Korah. Um, and we know that they're a group of priests from the tribe of Levi. They're part of the temple community. Um, but specifically, their job was a ministry of singing. It was leading the people in worship of God. You can read about them in various places. You can look it up later. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 19, for example, you see them standing up and praising the Lord in a very loud voice. What that means, though, is that this psalm was probably not simply a private song on a bed with tears, but rather an act of public worship. This is the people of God together crying out the Psalms to God in the midst of darkness. This is a corporate song. It's a song for people like us together. Second thing to mention is, if you, again, if you look in the title, you see it's called a maskil. M-A-S-K-A-K-I-L in, in the English there. We don't exactly know what that means, which is why most versions don't actually translate it. And this is why I don't want to hang too much off it. But we do know it comes from a Hebrew word that means to make someone wise or to give insight or enlightenment. So perhaps Psalm 42 and 43 are songs that that are to shape us, to instruct us, they're to make us wise. What does godly wisdom look like in a world of thorns and thistles and pain and pandemics? What does it look like? Well, maybe getting to grips with these Psalms will make us wise. Help us in knowing what to do and what to think and how to feel and how to respond. When we feel distant, when we feel forgotten, when life is not what we hoped it would be, then Psalms like this will help us to be wise. I wonder, would you say you're wise when you're in these valley seasons in terms of the coping strategies you have, in terms of how it is you keep going, how you get through to the next day and the next week and the next month? Do you want to be wise? Well, these psalms will help us to be wise at times like that. And do you remember the refrain? Andrew's already mentioned it to, to all of us and the kids particularly, but it's there in 42, um, 5 and 11 and 43, 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. What does wisdom look like? Well, at the heart of these two psalms, wisdom looks like the psalmist giving himself a good talking to, not listening to unhelpful emotions at this point. I think it's a reminder for us to store up good theology, to store up a good grasp of God for, for those times of questioning, those times of affliction, those times of hardship. That is wisdom. It's remembering in the midst of our sorrow that we have a living God. And so we're slowing right down to consider what the psalmist does through these four weeks. Um, last week was kind of an overview. This week, it's how he speaks to God particularly this idea of lament that we've introduced. Next week um, is how he speaks to himself. And then the fourth and final week, it's how he remembers the big story when he feels very little and life is very dark, how he remembers to have hope. And what we'll do this morning is we'll notice his good theology, his wisdom. Um, firstly, by looking at who he cries out to, and then by thinking what it is that he cries out. So firstly, 
whom he cries out to. Now, hopefully, there we are. First point, whom he cries out to. And the new thing, I think, for me, as I've read these psalms these last few weeks, and I've spoken on these psalms before, but the new thing for me, I'd not really grasped it or seen it, is the way in which he addresses God in these two psalms. Maybe you noticed, as Lissy read for us, maybe you're more observant than me, but the picture he paints of God is more complex and beautiful than I had seen before. Let me show you some of that. If you've got um, a Bible open in front of you, that would really help. Um, let me show you some of the different ways. We said last time that he longs for God at the beginning, like a, it's like a deer panting for water. He's looking to survive. It's a deer looking for life. But then in those first three verses, that longing increases in intensity. You kind of work your way through. In verse one, it's my God. Verse two, it's the living God. I wonder, maybe we're there meant to think of different places where God is like living water, quenching thirst, bringing life to his people. And then finally, it goes up another notch where it says he wants to meet with God. It's actually, in some translations, the face of God. I think if you have the ESV, you'll see that. But there's an increasing in intensity, an increasing intimacy with God. But then as you read through the rest of the Psalms, he, he just, these two Psalms, he describes his God in all kinds of glorious ways, which can help us to remember um, different facets of who our God is at different points in life. Have a look with me, see if you... Um, understand what I'm trying to get at. Look at verse eight, for example. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And when you see the Lord there, the start of verse eight in the first line, it's, it's deliberate, it's the covenant name of God. It's the God who makes promises to his people. And we're to think he's personal, but he's powerful. This is the God who has revealed himself to his people and he, and he loves them intensely. He, he loves them so, so intensely. He, he heard their cries and he rescued them from Egypt and he made promises to them and he brought them to the land that they now live in. This, this is the God who will never let his people go. Because he has covenanted himself. He has committed himself to them, to us. And even though he's away from the temple, and even though he's away from God's people, the psalmist can trust that. He is still the covenant Lord. And we can trust him. Or again, end of verse eight, by day and by night, he remembers God's care. And so that prayer means, see, end of verse eight, he is the God of my life. It's as if he's saying he is in God's hands. We are in God's hands. And there's no better place in all the world to be. It's the best place we could ever be, the only place we should ever want to be. He is the God of our lives. We can trust him. Or again, we glimpsed at it last week. Press into the pain of verse nine. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why does it? Why does it hurt so much that he feels forgotten? Well, because he knows that God is his rock. By very nature, our God is rock-like, dependable, trustworthy, solid. 
place of refuge and safety and shelter. Those are the kind of ideas he's wanting to, to bring to mind for us as he talks about God as rock. And this idea, it's not just, it's not just an idea. It's not just a lie that we tell to ourselves as we whistle in the dark in a scary world, trying to pretend it's all gonna be okay, but this is reality. And yet because our God is a rock, it makes it all the more painful when it feels like his God has forgotten him. Actually, in the next Psalm 43, verse 2, there's a similar pattern going on as well. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? It's a parallel in many ways. He is our stronghold, a God who protects his people, who keeps his people. God who makes us safe. And he's covenanted himself to them. He can't not look after them. He can't not look after us. And so the psalmist says, God, why do you feel so far off? Friends, let me urge you, maybe this week, to address God with the richness of the psalmist. Maybe it's reminding and recalling different aspects of God's character and nature. Different truths, different descriptions of God, different names of God will be relevant in different troubles. Maybe be deliberate about it this week. Maybe this week even focus on a different aspect from these two Psalms each day. Maybe you're feeling a bit shaky. And so pray into this idea that God is our rock. Maybe God feels a bit distant and so pray into this idea that he is our covenant keeping God. He is personal and powerful. And there's hope, of course. Again, as Andrew mentioned to the kids slot, hope is that refrain that rings again and again and again. Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Another name. He is our saviour. He is the one who will act on our behalf. He is the one who heard the cry of his people in Egypt and brought them again to worship him and to give them life. He is the one who took on flesh. And came and died for people like us. He rescued us from our sin. He rescued us from ourselves and he's given us life. He is our saviour. And don't forget those things because it's so easy for our, our understanding of God or our thinking to get fuzzy when anxiety takes over. and We can't think straight. We can't concentrate. And so in the midst of the darkness and the confusion, don't lose sight as to who our God is. Maybe spend some time in 42 and 43 this next week and beyond. Remembering who our God is and why that matters. The different things that we're feeling at the moment, different things that we're going through, our experiences do not change who he is. And so first one then is whom he cries out to. Second one is what it is that he actually cries out. Have a look down with me. We're going to zoom in on two ways in which he, he cries out to God. The first one is that he cries out to him in pain. And that's all the way through, but some examples, 42 verse 2 and verse 9. 
and 43 verse 2, and we'll come to them in a second. I wonder this, so we were chatting about this in home group on Wednesday, just gone. I wonder if, as a people, largely speaking, we enjoy a relatively comfortable life, usually. Maybe we're just not used to grief or to pain or to hardship. And so maybe we're just not used to lamenting at all. Because normally speaking, our lives in the West are pretty comfortable. In fact, in global terms, we are very rich and life is very easy. And so I wonder if we're just not really used to lamenting, whether, whether that's just as a, as a secular West thing or even the church within that kind of environment. It's fair to say brothers and sisters in different parts of the world will be much better at this idea than we are. But as we read in the Psalms and elsewhere, and as we even follow the example of Jesus, we need to know that it's okay to cry out to God in pain, whether relational or physical or emotional, whatever the pain is. And in one sense, both these Psalms 42 and 43 are songs to God, but it all starts off with a question to God. He's addressed in verse one and then specifically complaints start to pour out. 42 verse two, when can I go and meet with God? Or verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? We're going over the page, 43, verse two, your God, my stronghold, why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? I've been chewing over why it is that for many of us, these kinds of prayers, I think, are not as forthcoming as they might be. Why it is we're not so good at lamenting. Maybe we've been affected by our culture. I'm sure that is part of it. I was reflecting this week, though, and I wonder if it feels a little bit like for some of us, we're in the kind of early stages of relationship mode. You know what it's like. You're maybe you're starting a new job or a new school or a new class or a new romantic relationship. And for most of us, there's a kind of season where we're not really ourselves when it comes down to it. And until we know we are properly accepted. We're still on our best behaviour. And when we know we are properly accepted, then we might let our guard down a bit and we might ask the stupid question and be prepared to look a bit silly. Or we might really let people know how we are doing or we might allow some of our little annoying quirks to come out for all to see. When we trust people. I wonder if there may be a little bit of that in the way perhaps functionally we feel like we have to put on a brave face with God. To, to dig deep and deal with it ourselves or to put up and shut up because we've forgotten that we are totally accepted and totally loved and totally welcomed. He's our father in heaven. He's good. He's sovereign. We can trust him. He knows you better than you do. It's okay to pour out your heart to him. It's a good thing to do that. We're not going to shock him. We're not going to take him by surprise. We're we're not going to frustrate or annoy him. We're in Christ, we're loved. And so let him know. Maybe you haven't done that this last year. Maybe let him know the pain that you feel, the frustration that you feel. So that's the first one. He cries out to him in pain. Secondly, he cries out to him for relief. You get that in 43 verse 3. 
And if you're getting to grips with kind of how these psalms scan, you know that 43 verse 3 is only two, three verses off the end of chapter of Psalm 43. And so I'm struck by the fact that this comes really late in the song. Our psalmist is happy to sit and lament for a while. I'm pretty sure if I were penning these words, my asking God to make it better would come in the second half of verse one, if not the first half of verse one. But he does, he expresses his own pain. He shows us something of how we're to do that. And now he cries out to God to deal with the fundamental issue. Remember, it's the distance. It's that he can't be at the temple. He can't be with his God, which means his prayer in 43 verse 3 is, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me and bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. His prayer is that God would bring him back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and back to be with his God again. Again, we've hinted at this already, but I wonder if that would be the kind of prayer we would pray. Does our, I say this carefully, does our experience from God that we sometimes feel bother us that much? Do, do we enjoy that kind of a richness of relationship with God where when we're not able to experience it, it feels like we're a deer lost in the desert looking for water, looking, looking for life? Do, do those kinds of metaphors and pictures, do they resonate with us or are they just a little bit alien and sound a bit strange? God is the God of life, and so knowing him brings us life. That intimacy of relationship that the psalmist reveals through his prayer may be a challenge to us. And of course, friends, we need to finish, but psalms like this do help us. They, they do make us wise. They give us things that we should reflect upon and think about and put into practice. But actually more than that, they also point us to the one true sufferer who cried out to his father in heaven. Jesus, having taken on flesh in the darkness in the garden of Gethsemane, wrestling, wrestling, father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. Jesus, having taken on flesh on the cross, facing agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, having taken on flesh, not holding back, not stiff upper lipping, but bearing all, pouring himself out to his father for his people. Indeed, picking up the next psalm, Psalm 44, and some of the words there. Think about that in weeks to come. Jesus lamented. He cried out to his father in agony and separation. In his body, he was forgotten, forsaken by his heavenly father as he took the sin and the shame and the guilt of his people upon himself. He was punished in our place. He received the justice that we deserve. He was, he was forgotten. He was distanced. That we might never be. And so let's pray as we finish. We, we don't simply want um, ideas, and so we pray that you would help us. Help us to cry out to you, help us to be those who, who trust you, who are honest, who are willing to lament. To take some of these words perhaps this week and to, to send them back to you 
they express something of our hearts. And yet we pray that you would help us to remember the hope that we have. Lord, lament is never, biblical lament is never simply moaning and crying, but, but it's ultimately putting our trust in you. And so we pray that as we do that, you might help us to be a people who trust. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he was, as he took on flesh, he was distanced and he was forgotten and he was forsaken. That we might never be. That we might know you. That we might be loved by you. That we might be forgiven. That we might be cherished. Indeed, that we might even pray to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.